Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Welcome again to First Alliance Church at Home. My name's Pastor Andrew, and it's my pleasure this morning to lead us into the Bible. I invite you to have a Bible out with you, you as we dig into this morning's passage. And it's a parable that most people are familiar with. Even if you've never set foot in church this morning, you're probably aware or have heard of the parable of the prodigal son, and that's what we're going to consider this morning. And I believe that as we hear this text and as God addresses us with this text, it's going to be life-changing for us. There is such good news in what Jesus says here. So will you pray with me? And then we'll explore and consider what God would say to us this morning. Living God, I thank you. Thank you for this moment in history that we have to gather around you and hear your word. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would illumine our hearts and minds, to receive these words and that these words would transform our lives, that they would reveal to us who you are, what you've done for us, and the kind of life that you're inviting us into. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. As we take a look at this parable, it's going to be very simple. We're going to first consider the Son and then we are going to consider the Father and the response of the Father to the Son. We're going to leave the older Son for next week as, as he's kind of his own thing. But today we're going to focus on the first Son. And the first Son is the typical rebel. He's the typical sinner. The reason Jesus is telling these parables is because Jesus has been hanging around with shady people. He's been hanging around with sinners and tax collectors. And some religious types have noticed and they've wondered, why is Jesus welcoming sinners? Why is Jesus eating with these kinds of people? And in response to them, he tells these parables about lost things being found and how the owners rejoice when they find them. So let's take a look at the sun. Look at verses 11 to 13. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It seems that the younger son had had enough. He had had enough of living under his father's roof and he resolves to free himself. He's emancipating himself. He is getting out from under his father's household. He's throwing off the shackles of his father's authority. He wants to be his own man. He wants to carve his own path in life. Maybe some of us can understand that desire. And for him and for most people in our culture, freedom means being able to do what I want to do. And as we're going to see, this definition of freedom is not the true definition of freedom. That as we seek that way of getting freedom, we actually find ourselves very much unfree. We find ourselves in bondage. So the son frees himself from his father. Look in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Feeding pigs, a Jewish man feeding pigs. Can you imagine? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You see, what happens in the story is that in, in seeking his own freedom, the boy gets snared by a false freedom. And this story shows us with such clarity how the popular definition of freedom, uh, meaning to be completely left to myself to do whatever I want to do, actually leads to the worst kind of enslavement. In his quest to attain freedom, he ends up in bondage. See, what we see in the story is, is that even though he's free to pursue what he wants to pursue, he's actually driven by his desires. He's actually driven by his appetites, right? At first, maybe he goes out and he thinks he's king of the world, right? He's still got some money saved up. He's seizing the day. He's doing what feels good. And then the fantasy ends. The money runs dry and it becomes clear. He's not devouring the world. The world is devouring him, and he hits rock bottom. Two things bring this about. First, he runs out of money. Like, that was bound to happen, right? If you're not taking in more money than you're spending, it's not going to last. Second of all, a severe famine hits the land. A society-wide crisis hits. And it sends him into hardship and starvation. Think about our moment right now. So many people in the world, and maybe even people in the church, seek freedom like the younger son. To throw off constraints. Constraints of money. To have enough money to not be constrained. To throw off the constraints of morals. To throw off the constraints of mortality that overshadows our entire lives. But this crisis we're in, this, this coronavirus pandemic, has shown us our vulnerability. Right? Especially with regards to mortality, we've been touched by death. Our, our loved ones, our friends have been taken from us in a way that we're not particularly used to in the West. Regardless of money and status, you can be the prime minister and it doesn't matter. You can get coronavirus. And all of a sudden, as a society, we haven't been able to leave our houses or see our friends. You can't do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And it's, I think, caused a lot of us to pause and ask, am I truly free? Am I really free? You, you see, freedom can't mean to be totally freed from all limitations. To be human is to be limited. Whether you like it or not, you and I are limited. We're limited by time. We're limited by place. We're limited by mortality. And whether you believe it or not, we're limited by morality. We're limited by the laws that govern the universe and the laws that govern our society. And these are part of what it means to be human. It's just part of the package. And our human freedom somehow needs to be found within them. You see, freedom isn't about being freed from all limitations, because that's impossible. Freedom is about becoming what we were made to be. 
freedom is about becoming what we were made to be, and it's actually about accepting the right limitation. It's actually about accepting the limitation that will guide and impel us into discovering our purpose. Let me give you an example. A sculptor who fashions beautiful works of art finds freedom precisely because he has limited himself to using a given material. He, he takes a block of wood, and you and I might see that block of wood as a limitation, and indeed it is. And freedom from the sculptor is not found in throwing off the limitation, but working within it. it the medium, that material, is the avenue for his skill to exert its freedom to create something beautiful and give expression uh, to what's on his mind. I'll give you another example from marriage. Uh, so uh, the false view of freedom tragically plays out in the marriages in our society. People get married and marriage is hard and it's limiting. And by the way, I'm not gonna be talking about marriages where there is abuse but about marriages that end because people fall out of love or because people don't like feeling constrained uh, to be with one person or in marriages where, where things get too hard so you give up. So most people in those marriage situations think that freedom will come by throwing off the limitation of marriage. And, and so, so many marriages tragically end in divorce. People want freedom. But then they, they're freed from the marriage and, and then they're launched into more loneliness and confusion and a cycle of broken relationships and kids are caught in the midst of this and it's just an entire mess. You see, it's the people who accept the limitation of marriage and persevere through hardship and work on the relationship that in the end find incredible freedom and joy and love within it. You see, my grandparents have been married almost 65 years, 65 years, and they are just absolutely free in the love that they have for each other. And that's a love that grew within the limitation and safeguard of the marriage. You see, true human freedom can only be found when we accept the right limitation, when we accept the limitation that leads us to life. The boy sees this. He comes to his senses. After hitting rock bottom, he starts to see that the false freedom that he wanted has actually ensnared him. And now he starts to see the limitation that he had of being in his father's house. He starts to see that limitation as a whole lot more like actual freedom. Frankly, his life that he had in his father's house looks like paradise compared to sitting in the dirt, covered in rags, starving. Verses 17 to 20, we read. When he came to his senses, he starts to think about home. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. You see, that he should have wanted to separate himself from his father now seems like complete foolishness. 
He comes to his senses and he makes a plan to go home. He says in verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him three things. First, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Second, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Third, make me like one of your hired servants. He's ready to own up to his sin. He's ready to confess his unworthiness to be called a son. And he's going to accept the consequences that he's cut himself off from the family. He'll be a servant. He'll make himself useful. He'll earn his keep. So he got up and went to his father. So that's the son. He set off on this quest to find freedom and found out that he is enslaved to his own desires and passion. And he wakes up and he starts to see the actual freedom he had within the constraints of his father's household. And so he starts to go home. I wonder how many of us are on that journey. Maybe you are in the midst of that journey and discovering that the freedom you've tried to seek actually isn't freedom at all. Maybe you haven't yet stepped out and you're wondering, oh, am I going to find freedom? Let this be a caution to you. And maybe you're on the tail end of that. And you've had experiences where you've discovered this for yourself and you know that the only way to freedom is to come back home. Let's turn to the Father now. Verse 20 says, But while he was still a long way off, such incredible words. The son isn't home yet. He hasn't said anything yet. He hasn't tried to make it right. He hasn't given his speech. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. He's been waiting. He hasn't forgotten. And it says he was filled with compassion for him. That word compassion is actually a deep emotional reaction that you can feel in your guts. It says he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Look at how eager the father is to welcome and accept the lost son, just as Jesus is so eager to welcome and accept lost people. It's this beautiful display of God's eagerness to welcome sinners home. But at this point, the boy's plan kicks in. He starts to rehearse his speech. Did you notice that? Verse 21, the son said to his father first, he owns up to his sin. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Second, he confesses his unworthiness. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True on both counts. Yes, you've sinned. No, you're not worthy to be called my son anymore. There's this true confession and true repentance in this boy. And this is part of his coming home. But notice how verse 22 begins. It begins with the word but. And with every but in this parable, the good news just gets better. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And we're all left wondering, well, what happened to point number three? I mean, it's not a three-point talk without point number three. 
The son was well on his way to, to solving the problem. He was on his way to setting the terms of how the relationship with his father would move forward. I'm going to work. I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to settle for being a hireling. Don't worry, dad. I'll stay out of your hair. But the father never even lets him get there. Did you notice that? And it's the father who sets the terms for the relationship. And the terms are this. It's not you're going to work and earn your keep. It's grace. It's I'm going to welcome you back in, into full adoption. And total acceptance. You're back in the family. And it's almost funny how the son has no say in the matter. Once the father gets his hands on the son, it's totally out of the son's hands. He's like, yeah, best robe, bring it here. Put the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Filet mignon, get it started on the barbecue. We are going to have a party. For, he says in verse 24, this son of mine. See, he never stops calling him his son. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I think I heard you say amen in your house. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they're going to celebrate. And this is Jesus telling us what God's disposition is towards people who turn back to him. Are you lost this morning? Are you lost in life? What's stopping you from coming home? The father is waiting. He is so eager to, to welcome sinners and to rejoice when they come home. Now, a lot of us might read this parable and wonder, why, why can't it just be this easy? I mean, Christians are always talking about the cross and atonement for our sin and judgment. I mean, isn't this just how God can kind of treat everyone? Like, just, just forgive them, welcome them home. And we're tempted to think that that it's that simple, that, that God can just do this. And, and I want us to just take a moment and consider the cultural setting of this parable because before we think that, you know, true religion or true Christianity can deal away with the cross because of this parable, we actually need to see the cross in this parable because the cross is there. And we can see it when we understand the cultural setting of the parable. And, and here's where the cross is clear. It's clear in the humiliation of the Father. The humiliation of the Father. It begins in verse 12. The request comes from the younger son to the Father to give him his share of his estate. And this is the equivalent of the son saying to the Father, I mean, the Father is alive, he's good, uh, you know, he's probably middle-aged, maybe just above middle age. he's got lots of years left, and, and the son is basically saying to his dad, Dad, I wish... You were dead. Give me what's coming to me when you die. This would be the greatest shame in, and offense in a Middle Eastern culture. It's a relationship-ending action. And the expectation of everybody listening to the parable would be, okay, now the father is going to do either one of two things in order to salvage his honor. His honor has already been tar tarnished. Now he needs to salvage it. Either he's going to beat his son because clearly his son is lost in mind and he needs to help him find it. He's going to beat his son or in line with Deuteronomy 21, that's in the Jewish law, the father is going to drag his son to the elders of the village and have them stone him to death. 
for rebellion. Both of these options would have salvaged the honor of the father in the eyes of the community. So when we read the end of verse 12, we need to hear the shock in the audience when it says, so he divided his property between them. He does it. He does it and he is completely humiliated and dishonored. He let his dirty, rotten son walk away with one third of his wealth. That father's weak. He's spineless. Humiliation. We see the humiliation of the father in the return of the son. As the son approached the village, people's heads, right, would be turning. Look who's coming, crawling back, right? And in all likelihood, people were starting to taunt this boy. You brought such shame on your father, and now look at you. You're crawling back. You're nothing. And what does the father do? He sees him and runs. Pause. An elderly man in that culture never ran in public. It would be undignified. It would be shameful. The father runs to his son and joins the son in his humiliation and embracing him, right? The father is now with the son as the townspeople jeer and mock him. The father publicly accepts and forgives the son and identifies with the son and it costs him his honor. You see, if we were hearing this parable in the culture that Jesus was saying it, we would know so clearly that the son can be welcomed home into full sonship only through the father's humiliation. And in the same way, we can only come home and be fully adopted into the family of God through God's humiliation. And the humiliation that Jesus is suffering socially in verse 1, right? They're, they're jeering at him. They're saying, look at who he's hanging out with. That's nothing compared to the humiliation he endured on the cross. To go to the cross and, and to die an excruciating death of an accursed person alongside criminals where he carried out the will of the Father to pay the price for our rebellion and to reconcile us back to God. See, friends, that's where the cross is in this parable. The cross is in the humiliation of the Father. And it's only through the humiliation that the Son can be brought back into sonship. And Jesus has done that for us, and now the way home is open. The way home is open. You see, your freedom, it's not going to be found in leaving home. And what I want you to consider this morning very seriously as Jesus addresses us is that your freedom is only found as you come home. As you come home to the waiting Father, He's so eager to welcome and accept you to find your purpose and to find freedom in His love. I want to invite you to make that step this morning. If you've been hearing about Jesus and how he welcomes people to you, and maybe you've thought, no way, I'm, I'm too dirty. I've done stuff in my life that, that can't be forgiven. Well, here's the waiting father waiting to receive you. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you have come home. And this morning, this is a, just a fresh reminder of God's grace to you of the Father's love and affection for you. I hope we've been hearing that. And may 
that grace just send us in, in the power of God's spirit this week to worship him in all things and to live to show his grace to others. May it stir in us, in us may it stir up in us a response of, of gratitude and of belovedness to our Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.